New Thinking Allowed. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, we'll be exploring the human potential movement and the Esalen Institute. My guest is British music journalist and author of the Wobot blog, Matthew Ingram. He is also author of Retreat, How the Counterculture Invented Wellness. Matthew is in London, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Matthew. It's a pleasure to be with you once again. Thanks very much for having me back, Jeffrey. We're going to talk now about the Human Potential Movement and the Esalen Institute. Our previous conversation was about the counterculture. And uh, these are two distinct but overlapping movements. Maybe it would be a good idea to be to begin by uh, trying to separate them to what distinguishes human potential from the counterculture. Um, well, the best way I think to look at the human, the, the, the two of them, is to imagine that they both spring from the same sources or similar sources. There's a lot of crossover um, between the sources. But the human potential movement essentially grew out of a conjecture of Aldous Huxley's, where he described the uh, latent possibilities in mankind. And he just, in a lecture, he referred to it as human potentialities. And, and this was picked up by M Murphy and Price at Esalen. Um, the uh, the counterculture is more more directly comes through the beat movement, but in the sense that obviously Aldous Huxley was a very big influence, but also that Indian philosophy and Eastern philosophy was was a big influence. There's a there's a great confluence between the two. And I know you. Uh point out in your book uh, how Michael Murphy and Dick Price, the founders of the Esalen Institute, uh, were students at Stanford University attending lectures by Frederick Spiegelman, who uh, had uh, gotten deeply involved in uh, esoteric uh, traditions of India. I believe he was a, a student, perhaps even a disciple of Ramana Maharshi, a famous guru. Yes, um, Spiegelberg was uh, a lecturer um, at Stanford um, and famously inspired Michael Murphy. He wandered into one of his lectures by accident. Um, but uh, Spiegelberg was a sort of uh, almost a has a, some remarkable, almost itinerant part. He's a slight, almost like a Zelig-like character because he appears with Jung in Switzerland. But also he um, he visited and stayed at. Um, Aurobindo's ashram in Pune, where with mother, but also I think he he met Aurobindo. I think he was probably still alive at that stage. And he also he took so he took darshan from Aurobindo, but he also took darshan from Maharshi, which is remarkable. So he's a sort of academic who's got roots in Jungianism, but also has met all these gurus, which is Jung didn't even manage to do, wasn't inclined to do when he went to India. And uh, yeah, so he, he he was a great. You know, it hugely inspired uh, Murphy. 
but you describe this incredible lecture where he's saying to the students, Atman is Brahman. It's a famous equation in, in the Hindu tradition. And he's sort of yelling at the students, get it? And apparently Michael Murphy got it at that moment. Yes, I mean it sounds like a remarkable sort of epiphany. Um, it's the it's the famous uh, Sanskrit. Um, what can be distilled in the famous Sanskrit saying "Tatvam Asi," which means you know "Thou art that," and it's uh, it's a, the fundamental idea that um, the, the the ego is a subsection essentially of the self. And so uh, the, the the one that there's two really good analogies that describe it, which is to say that the air in a jar is kind of contiguous with the air in the atmosphere so that we're sort of as as, as egos we're just um c containers of, of of consciousness and sort of artificial containers in a sense um and there's another great analogy of uh you know salt going into water uh, in in the upanishads and and uh, so i think it's svetana has his father says to him um I, he says can you see the salt in the water and 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 Swasana said no. He says, well, um, that is the same. You know, thou art that. The, the, this is the, uh, uh, the you know the the salt manifests is is the consciousness is the is the the cream and the milk, so to speak. So the idea essentially is that within each human being, if we can probe deeply enough, we are one with the whole universe. That's right. Our, our consciousness is essentially just a fragment of the collective unconscious or the self or the psyche or however we like to look at it. Yes. You talk about how Dick Price, who co-founded Esalen with, with Michael Murphy, experienced uh, uh, you, what was diagnosed as a psychotic break. He you had uh, uh, mental treatment. He had electroshock therapy. It was, it was quite severe, but he also arrived at the notion that this was not a breakdown, but a breakthrough and uh, was very much in alignment with uh, the anti-psychiatry movement that, that that we spoke about briefly last time. He was um, on North Beach as a, as a beatnik um, and he was in a bar um, and he started, um, he'd been getting higher and higher over a period of weeks. And he, he started telling the barman, um, light the fire, light the fire, light the fire. And, and, the, and, and then the, I think the, uh, the guy running the, the bar um, called the, uh, the, the, the mental institute. And then he was, he was, he was confined, but yes, he, he, he thought of it as a as a, as a healing crisis, um, and uh, he, he wanted to uh, th that um, that was similar to how uh, you know uh, R.D. Lang and, and Jung as well, for instance, um, viewed the, uh, the the situation of, of the mental breakdown as a kind of a you know refashioning of, of the ego. But unfortunately, he was. Um, he actually got had. I think he spent months with these huge kind of energies coursing through him, and um, you know, you know, in conventional terms, you know, having a, a severe uh, psychiatric breakdown. Um, but you know, he 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 felt that it was a sort of spiritual experience, and he pretty much got to the end of it and was going to be discharged. Um, and his father uh, basically committed him. And so he then had to go through and have a very intensive period of electric shock treatment and treatment with Dorazine. 
Um, and, and it was at that stage, sadly, that the damage was done. Apparently, quite severe damage to his brain showed up, you know, on his uh, autopsy. Um, but uh, yeah, he he, uh, he he was always very interested in this idea of of uh, you know a, you know breakdown as, as breakthrough. Well, it, it, there's also a relationship here to the Spiritual Emergence Network, which eventually uh, was created by Stanislav Grof and his wife, Christine, uh, both of whom were connected to the Esalen Institute. Stan uh, moved to Esalen in about 1973, um, and Christina joined him there in 1975, I think it is. Um, and she had um, what they termed at the time it was the uh, was the, called a kundalini experience kundalini was the big um, metaphor that was used to describe this as a book by uh, elisa nello who i think somebody who you knew i think in the past he he was a good friend there's other sort of key texts on 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 the kundalini experience but they imagined uh, with the spiritual emergency network the idea was that you know um this experience was happening more and more i think probably against the background of um you know, a culture where more people were doing psychedelics, more people were exploring, um, you know, uh, other states of altered states of consciousness. And uh, so the the, um, the Kundalini experience, which is in another sense, is, 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 is another word for what we might just call a nervous breakdown, but has specific factors like what they call Kriyas, which are, um, you know, uh, shuddering, um, and you know hallucinations and he- hearing things, but but I think the the idea with the spiritual emergency network was to view these as you know transformational crises um, and not you know uh, to um, medicate people essentially. Well, Stanislav Grof is a very interesting figure because he he bridges both the psychedelic movement and the human potential movement, sort of uh, both a countercultural icon and a human potential icon. He's a a, a titan uh, in many ways. Um, He's, uh, I guess, maybe most known or most associated with um, transpersonal um, psychology, which was sort of the movement that he saw gr- growing out of humanist psychology. Um, but also, um, obviously now, especially in this current climate where psychedelics are a hot ticket, he's, he's obviously known, he's a sort of a patron saint of, of Rick Doblin's maps as well. I think he's uh, very involved there. But um, yes, yeah, so he was a, it was a, a great opportunity to interview him for the book. And I know, um, Jeffrey, that you, you've interviewed him at least twice o- over the years. Um, but uh, extraordinary character, yes. I I knew Stan Groff quite well. In fact, it's it's funny now that you mention it. We were planning to do an extensive series of interviews with Stan Groff, something akin to the uh, Bill Moyers Joseph Campbell interviews with. Uh, with Campbell. And uh, we were about to do it when his house caught fire and burned the very day that uh, we were scheduled uh, to do those interviews. So uh, that never happened. Perhaps it wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> you know, the truth is I've, I've been involved with the Esalen Institute and, and a related organization, which I think is very uh, central to the human potential movement, the Association for Humanistic Psychology, uh, going back to the 1970s. The, the key figure um, 
in in referring to that would probably be Abraham Maslow, who's obviously you know central to the the excellent story. Um, his um, uh, towards the psychology of being, I know, is obviously was one of the key texts along with um, the you know the, the Gestalt therapy book, um, and he's obviously known for his you know peak experiences and a, a, a very important figure in Esalen. Abraham Maslow was a crucial figure. I remember in 1969 when I came out to California from, uh, I'd been working at a mental health center in Illinois and I quit my job after six weeks and uh, because they were too behaviorally oriented, I came out to California and the first thing that I wanted to do was to meet Abraham Maslow who, who was working at a yeah, think tank at, at the time in Palo Alto. So, I, so I had a meeting with him, and, and it's interesting because he's such an important figure. And we we had a good conversation. I was hoping he might have a job for me. I really wanted to study with him at the time, and but he looked at me and uh, he he saw my long hair, and I was a, you know a student protester, and and he said he's he wasn't very sympathetic with uh, long haired student protesters. He he was still. Uh, uh, you know, he, he was an old school uh, uh, person, still part of, uh, I guess, in those days, what they would have called the silent majority at the time, even though uh, he had been, uh, you know, very influential in uh, inspiring the whole human potential movement. I certainly know that the, the Esalen, the culture of Esalen is, is not as radical as the culture of the counterculture. And, and perhaps that's what he noticed in, in you, Jeffrey, that you were you know, were more radical in that sense. Those were young and, and, and crazy years. I would have been maybe uh, 21, 22 years old at, at, at the time and still discovering myself and certainly swept up in, in the whole, you know, student activism, hippie uh, movement of that era, but, but deeply interested in uh, Maslow's work and, and human potential at the time, out of the human potential movement, and Maslow was a key figure bridging these, came the transpersonal psychology movement. The same people who founded the Association for Humanistic Psychology felt that they hadn't gone far enough, and they also founded the Association for Transpersonal Psychology, Maslow being among them. Stan Groff has, has famously said that um, it was his idea, um, or it was a phrase that he'd actually used in one of his papers. And um, I think Mas Maslow was, was going to be calling it transhumanist. But um, but then I think the transpersonal, which was Stan Groff's term, was the, uh, the one that they, they went with. Um, that's right. And, and that's, uh, you know, the much more profound implications in a way, a lot closer to, uh, well, not conventional, but... Um, a, a sort of a more like a Eastern philosophy with, with an emphasis on, on on things that you know you might see as being paranormal, so reincarnation and, and spirits and, and that whole extra factor that um, you know that, that psychologies tend to sort of gingerly tiptoe around. Even Jung will will sort of hedge his hedge his bets in that kind of area if, if he can. 
You quote, for example, Jeffrey Kripal in his uh, classic book on the Esalen Institute, in, in which he pointed out that the, the whole field of comparative religions started burgeoning across uh, colleges and universities throughout the world around the same time as uh, the uh, human potential movement was uh, taking off and and this interest in Zen Buddhism and meditation began to flourish in the Western world. Yes, and, and even um, humanist psychology had a great debt to um, Eastern thought. Um, the uh, the ideas, Maslow's ideas, even as they were, you know, humanist philosophy, were, were very much indebted to Buddhism and Taoism, Taoism especially, um, this idea, and, and the same with Gestalt therapy, I think it could be summarized as, um, as, as the idea that the machine works, which is the idea, for instance, that, that the, um, the human body, if left to its own devices um, and, you know, encouraged in a kind of a natural state, will uh, not create neurosis or, or, or problems. So, uh, so this idea, and that very much came from Taoism, the idea of, you know, not interrupting, you know, seeing how things fall, you know, trusting in, uh, you know, that the one's natural instincts and urges and intuitions. So, uh, you know, the even before, um, you know, uh, comparative religion and, uh, you know, transpersonal psychology became, you know, involved, there was already that idea of, uh, you know, the importance of, uh, of Eastern philosophy. You make a very interesting point in your book of comparing the uh, Gestalt therapy as practiced by Fritz Perls, the, the founder, and it was a huge movement in its own day, uh, with Taoism. Uh, and, and I think there's a very interesting way in which you, you make the comparison because you, you say Perls was never really able to articulate what Gestalt therapy was about, uh, even though he wrote books about it, they never seemed to be clear. Uh, even when you quote Theodore Rozak, who is much more articulate, describing Gestalt therapy, I, I found it almost unintelligible. Uh, but in Taoism, the, they say, you know, the, uh, the Tao that can be spoken of is not the true Tao. Anyone who claims they understand the Tao is wrong. Yeah, well, that's certainly uh, that's certainly a, a way to give um, to pearls a break for his unintelligibility. But uh, Rozak, uh, he, he he's um, he, he's very good on it in in a sense that you know he comes up with a, a similar. Well, I mean, my um, that quote that you know the machine works is is very much um, how uh, Rozak um, perceives perceives how it works, which is that um, that what we tend to do in modern life is to you know. Um, over medicalize ourselves you know we we take a pill to get up we take a pill to do that we 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 we're neurotic we we you know we um, we we tailor our behavior constantly and and i think um uh, rosak's insight on um you know on pearls's idea was that really that you know it was about breaking those uh you know accoutrements uh, those behaviors that we we've learned to to get back to a, a natural state of being so um, uh, there's a great quote um, that, and, and obviously there's a, the, the plays a big part in that is the the Reichian and ideas of of body armor. So you know when the Reichian massage, and so well, where, for instance, when someone like Ida Rolf at Essendon was doing it, it was about breaking the body armor. You know, restoring the you know the value of gravity, which was uh, Ida Rolf's great simplification. With really the body needs to obey gravity, 
And there's a very sort of uh, one of the right Fritz Perls's, uh, you know, few cosmic moments is when he he reflects that um, that really, uh, you know, gravity is God um, because obviously it's just that naturalness. Which I think he was trying to to, to induce in in his therapy. You know, uh, you're right. There was a huge emphasis on the, on the body itself. And, uh, I remember my very first exposure to the Esalen Institute was when I was working at this, uh, mental health center in Illinois, in Rockford, Illinois, based on behavior therapy, which I, uh, reacted strongly against. But uh, I found a book at that time by Bernie Gunther, who was uh, one of the program leaders at the Esalen Institute called uh, Sensory Awareness. And and it was all about uh, just getting in touch with your body. It, uh, apparently, up until that time, the, the thinking was, going back to the 19th century, as I recall, uh, that you shouldn't be aware of your body at all, except if, if you're ill or sick, that uh, a healthy body is one you don't feel rather than one that you're aware of. And there, there grew this sense of, of the enormous potentiality just within the nervous system. It's very nice. It leaks from basically with, with, Freud, with Freud as well in the sense that, you know, he too believed that, um, you know, if there was such a thing as the ego, it, it was the body, you know, it was the, the formation of the body. So, so Reich's idea as well really was that, you know, that rather than in a Freudian sense that, you know, trauma is something in our memories or in our past, it's really something that, that we hold in our bodies. And the idea in that as well, that, you know, the mind is a physical brain, you know, it's like a, a, a memory bank. Um, you know, capturing uh, a, a life in that sense. So that the problem is with the formation of that body, and and so obviously with with Reich, that there was a you know the Reichian therapists now will really will praise Reich for his emphasis on breathing uh, and teaching breathing, and and how he would notice breathing in his in his his students, and also obviously his his work on body armor and and and, and how uh, people would you know hold. You know positions, but it's very interesting that you uh, counted, uh, counted um, Bernie Gunter. Um, you know when when you did, because yes, he was obviously one of the the key group leaders at Esalen. I had this interesting experience. I was working in in uh, the Singer Zone Center in Rockford, Illinois, in a unit that had uh, very severely uh, uh, long term clients, people who had been housed in mental health institutions, big warehouses at the time for sometimes decades. And and I was working with a group of people. One woman in the group hadn't spoken in years. She was practically catatonic. And, and I found this exercise in Bernie Gunther's book of a sensory awareness. So people were just tapping their heads like this gently and experiencing it. And, and this lady started talking after one experience <laughs> of, of that. Yeah. There's very, very powerful techniques. I mean, there's some wonderful, um, the encounter techniques and the, the, the techniques are, uh, are fascinating. And there's a, in, in relation to the body, um, you know, Will Schutz is a, was one of the other big leaders with pearls and Gunter. Will Schutz is one of the big leaders who, um, wrote a book called joy and and one of his his th things was w with the group encounter one of the techniques was doubling whereby you would copy the body position of somebody else in the group 
and by doing that, I think people would, would get an insight into what their problems were. But again, it's it's that it's that kind of working backwards from you know where the body is positioned or how trauma or guilt or all these things are held in the body, and and, and being able to kind of get in touch with that by uh, by a game. So there's wonderful things that came through that that process. There was a sense of playfulness. There, it was very exploratory, and people uh, love making up games and getting together in groups and and just exploring the the edges of of human potential uh, through games. Uh, it was a wonderful time. It certainly extended beyond just California. Uh, when I was in Wisconsin at the University of Wisconsin as an undergrad. Uh, one of my professors there, David Bradford, was the son of Leland Bradford, who who was in Maine, who was the founder of what was known as the encounter group uh, phenomenon. And, and encounter groups really were um, a huge fad uh, sweeping through the country in, in the 1960s and sort of led to all kinds of other group therapies, including, I think, Gestalt therapy. There's a fascinating history to um, to the encounter groups. So I think, from what I understand, is that they came out of sensitivity training, which was actually for businesses. Um, and I think apparently what happened was that um, you know if, if you were having a problem with your workforce, you you get them all together and you discuss you know the situations. But apparently, what they did is that they made a kind of a slightly radical move and decided that they would actually ask the people in to come. To, uh, to attend the assessment so that everybody got to actually talk about not only what the teachers were saying but you know what they were saying about everybody else and apparently that was supposedly one of you know the starting points of of, of the encounter group. and i know that um that will schutz for instance used that as this as the at essendon used that as the template for bunging a load of different stuff games and other stuff into that structure um and, and i recently saw the um the Hollywood movie, which actually Quentin Tarantino has been uh, is a great fan of, um, um, Bob um, Bob Carroll, Ted, and and Alice, um, and uh, they they show a lot of the, uh, the fictional setting, but they show a lot of the you know the uh, the games uh, happening in a in a in an institute, which is a, obviously a copy of Esalen, and, and that must have been seen right away across America. So the whole thing must have been you know you know widely experienced and un- understood. The impact, uh, I think, still goes on uh, today. David Bradford, who was my professor at Madison in psychology, got hired by Stanford University's School of Business. And uh, one of his famous books in that context was a a book about how you could be influential uh, at any level in the corporation. You didn't have to be the CEO to be a decision maker or, or, or a person of influence. That that was an outgrowth of the encounter group and, and sensitivity training movements. I personally find it very interesting, also on a slightly comic um, level, how the there's that crossover between the business world and, and the spirituality world. Uh, you know, I do find it, uh, you know, looking back at it, amusing and I'm doing a lot of research on on that area at the moment, but something, for instance, like EST, EST was a almost very explicitly, a, you know, about you know getting on in the world and prospering in business, and you know, but it took a lot of the ideas of Taoism, Zen Buddhism, Gestalt therapy, and and, and took them that way. Um, so yeah, interesting, very interesting. 
Today, for example, you have uh, an outgrowth of the Association for Transpersonal Psychology was a small college called the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology. I was on the faculty there back in the 1980s and, and maybe even 70s. And uh, it uh, went through a crisis. It got purchased by uh, new owners. It's in Silicon Valley still. It's now called Sophia University, and they have two tracks. One is for the Silicon Valley business community, and the other is the same transpersonal psychology track. They're they're kind of coming together. Side by side. How interesting. You also mentioned Ida Rolf earlier who had this idea similar to Reich about working with the body armor. It was deep tissue massage as, as a way of breaking down the body armor. And it reminded me of an episode in my life I had almost forgotten. I was actually Rolfed by Ida Rolf. How amazing. Gosh, Jeffrey, you, yeah. you, don't, you never cease to surprise me. That's <laughs> Did she give you a heart attack? Oh, I, I screamed so loud at one time because she, there was a part of the process where she takes her fingers right up your nostrils. And I felt like I was being raped and I, I was screaming bloody murder and she was encouraging me, scream, she said, go ahead and scream. They could hear me a quarter of a mile away at, at one of the other houses there. This, this was in 1973, and, and I was a model for her um, training. She was training her, her senior rolfing students at the time and using me as uh, her guinea pig. Did she, did she use her elbows? Is that, that was one of the things I think she did. Yeah, I had the complete uh, rolfing. I think it was 13 sessions or something along those lines. Because there's the famous story at Esalen of how um, she uh, she basically she rolled for its pearls, didn't she? And um, she uh, she nearly killed him. I think he he passed out for I think 15 minutes, um, and uh, he had a very weak heart. Um, and uh, she uh, she was frightened that she she killed him. Um, but then he came to, and I think felt much better. <laughs> I think he was uh, greatly appreciated it. Well, in in that time, there was a, a sense uh, with Pearls and I think with Ida Rolf too of, uh, I guess you'd have to call it therapeutic tyranny. There, there was a sense in which some of these processes that, that were experimental and playful also could become abusive. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because um, certainly I know that with uh, Pearls and, and with the encounter groups, you know, that's something that's been phased out of uh, Esalen's own history. So, for instance, if you read um, the uh, the uh, the Walter Truett Anderson book on Esalen, it talks a lot about encounter groups. But Kripal, uh, on his book on Esalen, which is more recent, mentions them a lot less. And I think that that's uh, it's very much um, something that's been phased out. And, and the reason being that there were a lot of uh, suicides. Um, and I know um, it's... Uh, Jacqueline Gold and Marcia Price were both um, women who had been in therapy with Pearls and he'd been extremely brutal to them, um, both committed suicide. Um, uh, I think uh, one of them, you know, um, I think it's uh, Jacqueline, um, Jacqueline Gold um, was, 
was an extremely tragic story, um, which was more directly related to Pearls. I think Pearls goaded her and said, she was like, I'm, I'm going to commit suicide. You've got to stop this. And he was like, go on, you know, go and kill yourself, you know, see if I care. Um, and actually there's, I think, transcriptions. They actually filmed it and there's actually transcriptions of this happening. And he willingly um, released the tapes of, of the process where he's, he's goading her. So I think that eventually, um, I think there are, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of suicides, some more directly related to Esalen and encounter groups, some, you know, around the peripheries of people who attended Esalen. But I think there was a, yeah, a lot of, uh, it was a, a brutal, um, for some people, obviously a wonderful experience, but for, 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 a, for a minority, I think it was a dangerous, um, a dangerous um, mode of therapy. It's not so dissimilar from the experience of, of using psychedelic drugs. People were really pushing the limits of, of what might be possible. And uh, there were many positive breakthroughs. I have to say, in my own case, I participated in a variety of dangerous activities and, and came out just fine. But uh, certainly there were casualties. I suppose it's one should resist making, um, you know, facile you know, reductions or assumptions. But I, my, my gut feeling is that, that when um, when there is a lot of trauma a lot or, or a really hidden or undealt with or, you know, unanswered um, emotional problems, I think that they can be, you know, cataclysmic um, situations. And there's a very interesting um, someone who I took, talked to in um, my book uh, for, for, called a man called Scott Hill, who was uh, actually living in around um, California at the same time, you know, was a participant in the counterculture uh, like you would have been. Um, he uh, took LSD very merrily um, and, you know, this, you know, on a number of occasions, but then I think actually went up the big South coast. So again, actually quite close to Esalen and on his own one day, thought oh, I was going to have a lovely day tripping. And, and it literally, I think, you know, the gates of hell opened. And his theory, and I think it's a, a reasonable conjecture, that, that, that he'd actually had, um, you know, uh, I think third degree burns as, a, as an infant, and that this was, uh, he was actually getting in touch with, with that experience. And so if you have a traumatic experience like that, that, you know, you, you, you don't usually have any uh, uh, ability to, to get in touch with. And then suddenly with, with LSD, or again, with extreme therapy, you you, you're able to confront it, you know, it, it can be an, an overwhelming experience. That was certainly the case for people uh, on LSD and and I think in very uh, therapeutic situations as well, in, in particular because people were coming for a weekend experience at Esalen or maybe a week-long experience. Uh, what, what they probably really needed was long-term treatment to deal with these uh, situations. Yes, yes. Um, I, I think I did read um, that uh, one of the things that uh, they actually, they did have some sort of four month programs at Esalen uh, in the old days. But I think that if I think apparently that, that they found that although that would suggest that they we were going to have time to, you know, acclimatize people to the therapy. But actually, I think the further you went in, then, you know, the further you got out. So I think they still tend to, nowadays to do quite short um short courses um on the basis that people aren't going to go too far into these traumas that you know that everything's going to you know fall apart for them when 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 the period's over so i guess it's sort of six of one half a dozen of another 
When you write about uh, the, the critiques, people like Tom Wolfe, uh, is it Christopher Lash, uh, uh, wrote these books very critical of, of Esalen and, and all of these new therapies and uh, the sense. Uh, I, I remember very well, people wanted instant gratification and uh, at one time, there was a documentary done in Marin County, California, which was also a, a human potential hotspot where uh, a woman was uh, in, a hot, in a hot tub and she had men around her with peacock feathers stroking her and she was saying, I want it all. I want it all now. Yeah, that's a very famous, isn't it? I think that was uh, part of the backlash, wasn't it? I think they let film people and... Uh, Yes, uh, and um, I think that it, it was something that I think was made to. It, it was quite easy to uh, to lampoon it, um, but but yes, there was a there was a sort of slow and steady backlash. There was um, there was a, a, a writer called Sam Keane who was um, sort of part of the ranks of Esalen, Um and he uh, was one of the first people to uh, to sort of say, "Well, look, come on, hang on, you know, everybody's you know so content with uh, you know." sorting out their own problems but you know what about the problems of the world um and then i think what happened was that then that critique was picked up by more opportunistic people like so the next one was the tom wolf who wrote a very famous article i think it's for vanity fair called the me decade a 30 page article as as they were in that stage and and, and but you know but wolf doesn't really understand um the culture he doesn't really understand um the ideas behind it uh, in a way that actually he's much more sympathetic in something like uh, the electric kool-aid acid test you know, he, he understands lsd but um or he's up close to it but i think at this stage he's he's not really that invested in it and he just sees it as something that's you know selfish but i uh, certainly in that the me decade um article you know he he refers at great length to uh to Fritz Perl's encounter sessions and goes on and describes them in great, but Fritz Perl's never had, never did encounter sessions. Uh, that was Will Schutz who did encounter sessions. So he obviously, he just didn't have a clue. It was basically really bad journalism. And then that is picked up by um, Christopher Lash, who, who writes a whole book. And, and Christopher Lash really has no idea about, you know, it's all, the critique is all, is on the, is what, on what you might be described as, that impulse to be here now, you know, Bhagavan Das's famous statement. That that's a critique that it's all about nowness. But but obviously, you know, in that impulse of of nowness, there is well, there was inherently as well a kind of an ethical dimension to that. In that, the idea was that you yes, you were in the present in the moment, but that that you were you know in the present in the moment and and doing the right thing. But but that that aspect of of you know certainly the the counterculture which had a very sort of strong ethical dimension is just removed from the equation in those critiques it's it's almost like the the revenge of uh, the revenge of the establishment well it did seem like that to me because in the 1980s we we had the reagan years and and kind of a a back a cultural backlash against uh the uh, counterculture movement uh but at the same time certainly in my case you know people with a very serious interest in humanistic and transpersonal psychology people like stan groff uh, and others were were continuing their work uh, another important figure 
of that era is, is John Lilly, who I think we spoke about last time. But uh, he also was was part of uh, the uh, Esalen Institute and and the Human Potential Movement. That's right. Um, and actually, funnily enough, I, I think it's his. Um, he's actually not uh, essential to the the Esalen story as they tell it. Then I think he should be really because you know the Deep Self, his famous book, is is written pretty much about. Um, the uh, the uh, experiments that he did at Esalen, um, and there's there's a lot of um, what they call tank reports, which is basically almost everybody who who was on the Esalen grounds and and their experiences, you know, in the tank uh, with him at Esalen. But um, absolutely, um, no, it's uh, very much part of that of that culture. I don't even think they have um, isolation tanks there at the moment. Uh, which is a sort of missed opportunity, really, because on a commercial level, I'm sure it would be uh, they'd have a sort of tradition to call upon. Well, I believe tanks are still around elsewhere, but you have in the case of John Lilly and also Stanislav Grof uh, an effort to take the peak experience uh, that people experienced uh, through LSD and other psychedelics and try to replicate it without using drugs. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the nub of the, the thing, and, and I think that's um, certainly when we talk about uh, the flotation tanks. Um, that that's. I mean, from um, the film Altered States, I know we're all familiar with uh, you know William Hurt doing LSD and being in a tank. Um, but you know, the idea was was that you know being in a tank on its own, you know, was a psychedelic experience. Certainly, uh, you know, Stan Groff actually his tank reports are extremely imaginative. Um, and you know, you know, he looks like I don't think he was necessarily taking acid at the time. Um, and, and obviously, with Groff, um, there's the whole thing with the holotropic breathwork, which is um, about reaching these uh, same states uh, of consciousness um, through you know hyperventilation. Um, and, and that itself, actually, that that comes from um, I think via Leonard Orr. I think he was one of the, the first people to make it famous, but. Um, uh, there's a you know there's a, a yogic technique um bellows breath i think it's bastrika um and, and that that's uh it described it you know in the, the hatha yoga pradipika as as being uh you know the fastest way to uh to arouse kundalini so so yeah they've always known that this was you know how to trip out naturally um i think uh so and, and obviously but, but to go back to lily i mean his his big thing was um dmt as well and i know there's the famous story of him at esalen um being given dmt in in the in the tank um and uh curing his migraines uh he they see his he visualizes migraines first of all sort of a few feet above his head and then they come back and then they're like sort of uh uh 20 meters above his head and and then they come back and then they they dose him up with a absolutely massive dose and and his migraine just goes off a razor over the horizon and never comes back <laughs> Now, you mentioned Leonard Orr in, in passing a moment ago. As I recall, he was associated with a, a related movement called rebirthing. Yes, yes. Um, and that was something that uh, um, R.D. Lang, I think, tried to, to get on the coattails of as well. Um, I, I suppose that, that would be, um, uh, gets into the terrain where it's um, sort of on the edges of, because I, I kept my research quite close to the, to the counterculture, but certainly um, with, with Groff's work, with um, the, peri, uh, the perinatal matrixes, there's um, a very strong sense of, um, you know, the importance of that 
the idea of of birth and and rebirth and so stan would see um you know uh certain lsd experiences as as being related to certain stages of people's experience in the birth canal so you know one to bp one to four um so and obviously the whole idea of um you know uh you know, individuation in that sense is, is wrapped up with the idea of, of rebirth. Um, so not just like, I think all did, did workshops where people would, would act out um, birthing and rebirthing. People would in effect uh, relive their birth experience and, and would come out of it feeling in a sense reborn, almost like in, in the fundamentalist Christian sense. Yes, and and um, I suppose it's one of those one of the things that comes up um, repeatedly in, in in LSD experiences is is people's um, remembrance remembering uh, you know the birth experience, and I think in in dream work as well, people can find um, dreams that have uh, you know strong echoes or suggestions of of the birth experience. So yes, another aspect I don't think you wrote about it so much uh, in, in your book, but it came out of the Esalen Institute, uh, were uh, conferences on physics and consciousness, this uh, a whole new effort to, you know, understand uh, the nature of consciousness itself. Uh, uh, there was actually, I, I guess it's fair to say, quite a bit of intellectual work that, that came out of various Esalen conferences. Um, uh, the Fritjof Capra is the, is the famous the the Tao of, the Tao of physics, isn't it? That was the uh, the famous book. I know that um, uh, certainly a lot of the the New Age um, movement takes a lot of sucker from the the ideas of quantum physics, and and it's quite difficult to know exactly you know what position to take on something like that because uh, it can end up in, in a terrible gobbledygook. But um, certainly, something like David Bohm, I know, was extremely important. The 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 physicist David Bohm, um, and I know that you know he spent a lot of time in conversation with Krishnamurti. Um, so uh, you know, and, and Bohm was a, a physicist at the very highest level. So you know, he was um, working on the atom bomb. So uh, um, yes, uh, you know, and, and Esselen also is uncredited. A lot of the uh, the workshops they did a number of workshops on. Um, on race as well. Um, I think somebody you spoke to a long time ago, um, Price Cobbs, the black psychiatrist, he worked with uh, George Leonard uh, out of Esalen and they did a number of uh, racial encounter groups that were explosive. Um, but on every time they did them, I think that with a really excellent resolution. Well, Price Cobbs, uh, I remember him, was a, a very elegant man. Uh, uh, you also mentioned George Leonard, who was, uh, I think, one of the co-founders of the Esalen Institute. Uh, very interesting person. I recall his book, Education and Ecstasy, in, uh, in which he, he points out that uh, uh, in mainstream educational institutions, children were, are going to learn more and uh, will have a, an easier time of it if if they are able to experience the joy of of learning in, in different ways. I think that book was very influential. Yes, I mean it seems like there might be echoes of it in um, something like um, Daniel Goleman's ideas of of actually you know educating children 
um, you know, in psychology in a sense. And I know that um, that's something that Adler was always very big on was 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 educating children, you know, to be psychological, to understand psychology. The the whole emotional intelligence movement. Goldman's exactly yes. He mm -hmm. saw that as happening very much through education. Well, there are just many, many uh, points of contact, uh, certainly parapsychology. Uh, and you've also referred now to a couple of Hollywood movies, but I think there were any number of movies that featured uh, what was going on because uh, human potential at that time and, and even today, it was just a, an enormous cultural thread that sort of wove through everything. The Esalen Institute took a little um, a sort of... An, uh, a sort of a mini Esalen showcase to Hollywood and I had a lot of movie starlets and everything came down. And I think that, um, that uh, Natalie Wood, the actress, um, did a, uh, an encounter group with Fritz Pearls. And I think he went off the rails a bit um, and picked her up and started smacking her. Um, so I, she, uh, and she was absolutely, I think Malcolm McDowell um, threatened to beat in um, Pearls on her behalf. Um, and uh, she was obviously the star for, um, in, um, she was a uh, Carol in Bob Carroll, Ted and Alice. So there's people have conjectured that she was having a, you know, having a, her, her revenge cold. Um, but actually it's actually a very positive film about, about the, the, you know, the encounter movement. So, yeah. And you mentioned uh, Altered States. You know, there's a wonderful line in, in that movie. Uh, he plays a professor, as I recall, I think a Harvard professor interested in consciousness. And uh, he's walking down the street with with one of his colleagues and, and talking about the whole field of consciousness and how, how there isn't much good work except for uh, Tart. He mentions Charlie Tart, who was one of my dissertation committee members at the time. You just did a stream thing with Charles Tart, didn't you? I just did. Yes, we a couple of days ago. Uh, I've known Charlie for fifty years, and and as I mentioned, he was one of my dissertation committee members. <laughs> yes, that's funny. That's that's amazing. Yeah, it's funny it's that, it, that it entered those um, those areas. Absolutely extraordinary. Um, I'm trying to scratch, trying to think of, of, of more examples. Uh, um, I think there was a there was a few. Uh, I think there were a few more trashy films towards the end um, when, uh, you know, it became more, more of a target. Um, I think those were probably yeah. the best examples. Well, sure. You, there were all kinds of uh, movies. I don't know that there were ever any, any good movies, but, but as I recall, Altered States was written by Patty Shievsky, who was a very well-known screenwriter. Yes, that's right. He had a fight, a big fight with. Um, it was a. I know that the production of that film was, was a nightmare. They had a, a terrible fight on set. I think that he was thrown off the uh, off the movie in the end. There's a lot of things in in uh, in, in comic books as well. I know that, for instance, um, the uh, the comic book artist Mobius um, and Jodorowsky, of course, um, was again oh. very much into this 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 field. You know, the the um, the, uh, the Holy Mountain is very much. Uh, uh, related to, to this terrain too. I'm a big fan of Jodorowsky's uh, films and his uh, uh, illustrated novels and his work in, he calls it psycho magic. He, he uh, attempted to uh, uh, combine his, his interest in, in surrealism and tarot uh, with psychotherapy. 
yes, it's all very Jungian, isn't it? And and he's a fascinating, a fascinating character. Um, and and still, you know, still a reputation. I think he's uh, Kanye West wanted to meet him just the other day, so he's 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 still a hot ticket, um, Jodorowsky. He's nearly 90 years old at this point and going strong. I, I have enormous admiration for him, yeah. So, it, you know, it's very interesting that many of the people who were back there at the very beginning, people like Michael Murphy, for example, are still uh, active and, and making contributions to the world in a, in a very serious way. Yes, um, and I think it's in some measure it's one of the things that I, I realized when I was writing the book that that if I was to do something like this on sixties rock stars, um, they'd most the most of them would be dead by this stage. I mean, you have a you know, there's a Paul McCartney and Bob Dylan still kicking around. Those are the healthier ones, but you know a lot of the big famous ones are, uh, are dead. But again, a lot of the uh, of the the sixties era of and the countercultural era in this particular era are alive and kicking. And I know Michael Murphy's had a a long career, and and you know the sports thing that he he's always worked on has always been very interesting. I know he wrote the uh, the book uh, Golf in the Kingdom, which is uh, about um, you know the uh, the sort of the, the golfing yogi Shiva's irons, uh, and he he wrote that another book um, the Psychic Side of Sports, which is I I think that's such an interesting area actually as well. I think it's one of the most you know unexplored um, aspects of, of this culture and. Um, potentially, you know, very interesting, you know, things that are left have been un left unexplored in, in that area, certainly. And, and I think he still pursues his interest in meditation and Aurobindo. In fact, just uh, two days ago, I interviewed uh, my friend Debashish Banerjee. He was in Calcutta. Uh, Debashish has written many books about Aurobindo, and he's in regular contact with Michael Murphy and. Uh, Yes, I know that Aurobindo is is was the absolute the life divine was the absolute key um, to to Murphy and and it's very interesting because I have seen um, your interviews with uh, Debashish actually and it's very interesting but the um, the 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 Aurobindo uh, you know it's easy to for instance lump, lump all of the Aida uh, Aida theorists together but Aurobindo is is very different he has this sense of of integration famously which is which is, you know, to refer back to Esselen is, is the fundamental thing with Esselen, which is, you know, it's not all about, like everybody did in the counterculture, going off to the moon. It's that sense of, you know, bringing it all back, being a united person, having the access to these, these well, the, the notions of these, these higher realms of experience, but also being able to be, you know, a, a person walking around in the world. And so, you know, Aurobindo, I'm glad you mentioned him, is a very, very important well, also because the one of the critiques you brought up of the human potential movement is is the idea that people are just staring at their navels while the world is falling apart, and and you see uh, in the, uh, Aurobindo's movement a, a real emphasis on uh, making a contribution to society. I did a lovely interview with Debashish about the community of Auroville in India, which is sort of a a model. A community uh, that has political and financial aspects to it, as well as spiritual and uh, economic and uh, psychological. Uh, yes, I mean it's it's what 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 unfortunately happened with with uh, with uh, a lot of the uh, 
Eastern philosophy, certainly when it went to the West, was that it was used um, in a way to um, just literally take off uh, into the self um, and, um, you know, forget the the reality of, of the world around us. Um, I think I think the, the brightest people um, or the most compassionate people figured it out. But, uh, you know, um, unfortunately, you know, there were casualties, the likes of... Uh, of um, of Leary, unfortunately, who just uh, all they could see was uh, uh, the distant planets and, and and not not the world they were living in. Well, the Esalen Institute is still active after all of these years. So many other uh, organizations of that type don't last uh, this long. It'll probably keep going for a long time. I think until it falls into the sea, yes. I mean, it's. Uh, the, I mean, I, I'm. Sh- I know. You, I'm certain you you will have been there. But you know, if, if anybody has the opportunity to go there and go on a workshop, I, I strongly recommend it. It's it's heaven on earth. It's it's absolutely beautiful. Um, it's it's funny because uh, you know when, when you travel to it as a as a, someone from Europe, uh, you go literally right away the west, and then you go west and west and west and west. And in fact, you're you're so far west that. You know, you might as well be in the East, uh, certainly how I felt it. You could say that. It, it is the, the very yeah, furthest extension of Western civilization. If Well, if you don't count Hawaii. Hawaii, <laughs> yes. Well, Matthew, this has been a delightful conversation. I'm, I'm so glad that we can revisit this in, era because it was crucial in my own development and uh, people of my generation. And and I think uh, that uh, it's an impulse uh, culturally that is is still making waves. Yes. And well, thank you very much indeed for having me. And it's a, it's an era that I find, you know, endlessly fascinating. And it's a, it's a fantastic to be able to talk to you. And you can you tell me that you've you've been Rolf by Ida Rolf. I mean, it's uh, it's it's remarkable. So thank you very much for having me, Jeffrey. I much appreciate it. Well, I uh, hope and expect that we will be doing more interviews as well, because as, as I look at the depth of your writing and the breadth of your writing and, and the brilliance of, of your writing, I'd, I'd like to have few more conversations with you, Matthew. Well, that would be a great honor. Uh, thank you very much, Jeffrey. Thank you. And for those of you watching, thank you for being with us.